0: During the COVID nineteen pandemic, there have been heroes of all kinds. Of course, our health care providers, but also there are individuals in communities running not for profits that pre-COVID they were doing amazing things, but then they really rose to the challenge to help close disparities especially for youth Dana Rackland heads up NYC Together she has an approach that is an entire ecosystem of not just handing out help such as mentoring to disadvantaged youth who are no longer in school in her the greenpoint section of new york but she's also advocating for youth, advocating to get them laptops and Wi-Fi hotspots, and then getting adults to mentor them so that they are not falling through the cracks, which they often do. Dana has a point of view on volunteerism that is very, very interesting. She was named a daily point of light by Points of Light um, a number of years ago. Her point of view on volunteerism is that not all volunteerism is an Instagram photo where she sees a real opportunity for volunteerism, especially for people who want to help create new solutions and new systems, is not just serve food in a soup kitchen, but help individuals to learn how to grow food how to sell food, such as hydroponic opportunities in inner cities where there are food deserts, and then eat the food, an entire 360-degree system, whether it's helping kids with education, helping them get summer jobs that you'll learn from her conversation with me, just truly making an impact. And so volunteering can truly be as intellectual as well as hands-on to truly make a long term impact. Dana Racklin and New York City Together.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. So,
0: so, Dana, tell us where in the New York area you are and then what you are doing to help people during the pandemic.
1: Sure. So, I am located in Greenpoint, which is in North Brooklyn. And my organization, NYC Together, does direct service throughout North Brooklyn. Um, And then we do some advising and policy work throughout the entire city. So we have touch points all over the city, but we mostly focus on direct service with youth in North Brooklyn. So neighborhoods ranging from East New York, Brownsville, Bed-Stuy, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, all over all those types, Crown Heights, Um, So that's our catchment area.
0: And so you founded NYC Together when?
1: NYC Together was founded five years ago, uh, actually May 5th, 2015. So we're coming up on our five-year anniversary.
0: Happy anniversary.
1: Thank you. So obviously our big plans are quite different now, Um, but it was founded five years ago and it was born out of this idea that We can change what is happening in communities by shifting culture uh, around policing. Essentially, I was working in the criminal justice reform space. For five years, um, and specifically with young people who were touching the system. And all of those young people had two things in common. One, their communities were really over-policed and the police constantly had an eye on them. And two, their schools were constantly targeting them for punitive measures like suspension and expulsion. We said, why are we waiting for young people to get into the justice system to change the trajectory? Why don't we change the culture inside of their schools and inside of their communities with police, which really puts the onus on the adults and people with power like police officers and school educators to change how we interact with young people and see that we cannot provide criminal solutions to social problems? We launched that in two thousand fifteen yeah, and since then we've grown from a small idea slash project into working. Uh, citywide with major elected celebrities and most importantly with decision makers within the Department of ed and the New York City Police Department to kind of shift their mindsets around how they function
0: and and why why did this this issue touch you so much I mean the issue of is why it t- is really a, a personal responsibility
1: that I felt. I grew up in Staten Island and um, the South Shore. I never saw people of color. Uh, I was really in an insulated community until I went to high school. And then after high school and college, you, I went to a college that I had, you know, no people of color almost in any of my classes. Ends up my best friend from college, was a black girl or is a black girl from Senegal. She's still my best friend. And I said, you know, what's happening here? It's not about choice. It's about opportunity. Uh, It's about access. And then when I went to work in Staten Island, I was working in the court system and everybody that looked like me had a lot of power and was making decisions. And everybody that was a person of color was, you know, having to live with those decisions. And that is really what interests me is how do we create equity and how do we understand in our own community that equity is good for everybody our humanity is found in how we behave in moments of crisis and how we level the playing field and so the greatest gift i've ever been given was the the ability to work within these systems but with young people that are truly transformative in their thinking and their Really, quite wonderful, and deserve only the best from everybody else.
0: Can you shift a bit to the coronavirus? And certainly, we have uh, seen how it's had over-indexed impacts on people of color, people with less means, and you know how you've shifted NYC together. To continue on your path to providing and, and fighting for equity.
1: One thing that I learned really quickly in all, you know, in my working before I even started the nonprofit was that there was this scarcity of resources except for the justice system. Right. So we don't have enough money to make this park look nice. We don't have enough money to, you know, fix these roads or create economic opportunity, but we definitely have enough money for police officers. And so something that we've done from the very beginning is said, okay, what are the resources that the city and state are willing to allocate to these communities? And then how do you make those resources work for the community? Um, And so in Corona, we did the same exact thing. I knew. As soon as they closed schools, that when they're saying, okay, we're going to get laptops and Wi-Fi and all this other stuff out, I knew that there was no way that they were going to be able to mobilize to get to my students in a timely fashion. And I knew that my students were going to schools that often marginalized them to begin with, and they already had a hard time engaging in the education process. So they weren't going to be able to advocate for themselves and their families were under all this stress as well. I take on a philosophy, like I'm not gonna wait for anybody else to do anything. And in that week from lockdown to starting remote learning, we reached out to some folks in the hip hop community that we partner with, uh, Cinematic Records, And we said, Hey, we have to get, we have to raise money ASAP and we have to buy all of our kids, Wi-Fi hotspots and laptops. And, you know, the hip hop community is wonderful to us. So Ebro in the morning on hot night seven started talking about the issue and cinematic records offered a record deal, a $50,000 record deal to one lucky person. And in order to submit your music, you had to make a $20 donation. And so from there, in one week, we were able to raise $10,000. And then you say, okay, now you have the laptops. What do you do with them? We mobilized the NYPD in their protective gear to help us make those deliveries to all these young people to make sure that they got it. So when virtual learning started, our kids were able to participate. Additionally, we raised money so that we could hire people that were laid off due to COVID To be educational advocates and virtual tutors for our young people. So, right now, our young people have somebody checking in with them every day, going over their classwork, being an advocate for them with their teachers who are saying, Oh, you didn't turn this assignment in or it wasn't done right. Well, now you have an adult getting on the phone, getting an email, say, Hold on, I worked on that assignment with them. I know that that was done, right? Um, So, that's crucially important. And additionally, We raised money so that we can do a learn and earn program. So our young people have the ability to earn up to $75 per week for participating in the virtual learning platform and doing what they have to do. So we incentivized it. We know that their families are struggling. A lot of families are struggling. We also know it's really hard to get into the virtual learning mode, especially if you haven't been doing it all along. We try to think, again, like, transformationally, how do you take a crisis and turn it into a turning point? For our young people, this has been a turning point. While it's really depressing and a lot of horrible, for most of our young people who are participating in the program, they're getting more academic support and education than they've ever received in their schooling. And I can't wait for the grades to come out, and I'm going to do a compared, uh, like compare their report cards to see that change.
0: How many students um, are you serving?
1: So we service 45 students uh, school year, and we have 11 kids on the virtual uh, tutoring platform that they self-selected in. And then the rest of the students said that they didn't want to participate in the virtual learning platform, but we were able to get them laptops. And I'm just doing regular case management and check-ins with them.
0: What we always like to do is take the wisdom of our guests and share it with others regarding how they responded, their intentionality and anything else. And so for people listening to this and and saying, you know, what do I do? How I want to respond to COVID. I want to help out. What are your suggestions?
1: People come to me all the time and say, I want to volunteer with you. I want to work with the kids, right? And my virtual tutors are really getting a peek inside of how hard it is. Volunteering and engaging doesn't always feel good. And the expectation is that you're going to leave and feel good about yourself. And so... If that was, if it's so easy to do that, then everybody would be involved in all the work around the world. Um, And unfortunately, philanthropy has shifted and people wanting to do things is because of the feeling good, because I'm going to hand a homeless man sneakers and take a photograph. That doesn't change that homeless man's um, long-term trajectory in any real sustainable way, right? And so when I'm talking to people that want to be engaged in the work that we're doing, whether it be crisis relief or otherwise, it's to really think deeply about why do you want to do this? And how much of yourself and your energy are you willing to give to that? And how much are you willing to challenge yourself about the ideas around volunteering or getting involved? Um, So for example, when we're talking about um, covid disproportionately impacting communities of color and saying things like well they have the people of color have more health issues like diabetes well that's a matter of food access and that's a matter of food deserts and that's a matter of health equity so how much are you willing to get involved in that right because one way to get involved is we're going to do canned goods and all this food banking and all that and and that's wonderful, and I'm glad that people are finding a way to, to give. But what if we all dug a little deeper and thought more and were more intentional about how we operate every single day in the world, crisis or not, to change the fabric of communities so that they are self-sustaining and that they are healthy? You know, volunteerism and civil en- and civic engagement really has to be internalized. And not just be about the Instagram moments that you create, but really about the ripple effect that you create in your daily actions. Um, so I know that that's not a good answer that people actually want to hear, but that's, that's the truth of the matter. It's a matter of really using your voice and your position of power to fight for equity and systemic changes and to be really conscious about why you're choosing to get involved in volunteerism.
0: And I think, Dana, that point is so well made about volunteering because there's a spectrum to your point. There's the deep intentionality and systems change that you advocate for. And then there's the hands-on, I want to feed homeless or, or disadvantaged in a soup kitchen. And, and I think for our listeners, your point is, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, You know, what kind of outcome are you seeking to engage with? I I think that's quite profound.
1: Yeah. And I think that we have an opportunity right now. We hear Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio talk about right now, they're saying we're going to rebuild better than we were before. Yet none of the actions that are being taken or money being spent would allow me to believe that that's true. We have to be innovative and thoughtful. We have to do things that haven't been done before. And as citizens, we have to demand that that happens. We have to look, what are the things in the budgets getting cut? So again, I really truly believe in being vigilant and mindful and saying I'm choosing to participate because it's the right thing to do, not because I get to post something on Instagram. And also understanding that when you serve others, It's for the betterment of an entire community. It's not like doing something good for somebody else. We have to stop being lazy when it comes to volunteerism.
0: I'm curious, since you are so intentional and smart about this, that what, because, you know, we're working with points of light to try and in a post-COVID world, and the world will be different to your point. How do we take the humanity that people have expressed at all levels of the spectrum? And really make it a daily, weekly, monthly habit to get engaged, whether it's volunteering, whether it's politically, as, as you're talking about systems, whether it's, you know, buying products from companies that are truly socially responsible. Do you have any suggestions on how we might add, I, I always use the term miracle grow, to our system to really get more people to engage and help to evolve our, the social fabric of our society?
1: Volunteerism is a system. It's become a system in this country. Um, and giving and donating, it's all a system. And systems need social and cultural shifts to change. Um, it doesn't happen magically. So the way that we talk about philanthropy and the way that we talk about giving and the way that we talk about giving back has to change dramatically in order to have that miracle Grow effect, right? It's a culture change. We have to, we have to create that culture change. And so, I was just reading Trevor Noah's uh, book, "Born a Crime," and he talks about, you know, how he started making money not in when he was a teenager, not when he became a comedian, a professional comedian. And he said, you know, a lot of people talk about you teach a man to fish, you don't just give him a fish but they leave out the part about you have to give him a fishing pole too. And so I think that that's really the place that we're at. A lot of people acknowledge that you know, handing out a bag of food at a food bank is a Band-Aid on a bullet wound solution, but it's absolutely necessary because somebody's hungry right now, right? That's a very true statement and we need that and it's important. But the next phase to that is, why are we not looking into, I have a friend over in Baltimore who runs this thing called City Weeds, and he does hydroponic farming, where the core zip code in Baltimore is growing their own food. And then not only do they get to eat that food, then they're selling that food to create economic stability. So how do we shift our models from just handing something out to teaching and empowering and creating a system where volunteerism is married to cultural and social changes that are supported by policy and practice.
0: That's, that's an incredible vision. And I think that as part of uh, points of light civic century, that um, it, it's like companies that have taken purpose and they've taken it out of the philanthropy bucket to part of their operations. Yeah. And so that's what you're saying to um, apply that to our our volunteerism and civic engagement. I think that's fantastic. And um, I know I've just learned something that was probably right in front of my nose because I talk about this so much. But you've now stated it for me. So I will talk to the points of light, folks. Um, about that evolution as well. So, so Dana, you're you're so smart about um, engaging with the community and really making an impact. What's the next phase of your COVID relief efforts?
1: So we're super excited about our next phase. And we have some really tremendous people who have come on board. So if you follow us on social media, it's at NYC together Org on Instagram, you'll be able to see the announcement, which will be coming uh, Friday, and then again on Monday, is uh, we are going to take on the summer youth employment problem as part of the financial destruction of COVID. Unfortunately, New York City has defunded summer youth employment, which yes. would offer young people in communities that are, of course, the hardest hit by Corona, and of course, the hardest hit. Economically, for generations, meaningful employment opportunity and financial opportunity, right? So now you have all these young people who are gonna be unemployed, not have things to do over the summer, and they're losing out on that financial opportunity. So we're building out a virtual learning platform where young people will learn about the systemic issues that led to Corona hitting their communities the hardest. And then develop a public health campaign to educate their own communities. So using their voices, their creativity, um, and placing corona right in the midst of historical context that led us to this place, create these campaigns that we think or we know, I have to say unequivocally, I know will be more effective than any other messaging happening around public health, and social distancing. And so we are in going to be fundraising to hire these young people, develop the, the virtual platform, and then have this these public health campaigns be going out all summer long. So we're super excited about that.
0: Where might our listeners um, get information so they can donate? Can you give us the information again?
1: So you could just go right to our website to donate, which would be nyctogether.org. And if anybody wants to reach out directly to me, if they had ideas or they wanted to donate and they want to do a larger gift and not comfortable going to the website, um, you could definitely reach out to me. My Instagram is uh, Dana, D-A-N-A underscore Racklin, R-A-C-H-L-I-N. Um, and we, again, we're going to be making those announcements later this week. And then the big one will come on Monday where the whole campaign will be rolling out. And the target is to employ young people and have young people be the credible messengers around public health and safety for their own communities.
0: Please keep in touch with us. Uh, We love to see the, um, the progress and see how we can share that with others that we know in the social responsibility movement.
1: Oh, we would love that. Uh, We have some big celebrities coming on board, but of course we love a corporate donor or a corporate match. The more money we raise, the more kids we can hire.
0: Two wonderful women from Kentucky... Sandy Cambron and Shannon Blair and they have a project called Pearl's Memory Babies so the name of that immediately caused us to say what is Pearl's Memory Babies and so um, Shannon and Sandy why don't you let our listeners know what is this great idea about
2: Uh, well in two thousand and six. Uh, My mother-in-law, her name was Pearl. She had Alzheimer's, dementia, and she was put into a nursing facility when we no longer could help her at home. And she was very lonely and just very, very, um, she was a very independent woman. And when she was put into the facility, we just saw her withdrawal and she, um, she was so unhappy. So my husband and I, we tried many, many different things. Uh, We tried um, the animated puppies that sing and dance and we uh, tried, went and bought our TV. We just did everything we could think of. Um, And then one day we were out shopping and I grew up loving my baby dolls. And I told my husband, I said, why don't we try to give her a baby doll and see what happens? So we looked for one that was close to the size of a baby. Uh, It was 20 inches long. And I brought it home and it just still didn't suit me. So I decided to redress it and put real baby clothes on it and a receiving blanket on it, wrapped it up and took it to her. And she loved it. Love, love, loved it. It made such a difference in her. And then um, she passed after she passed My husband and I started doing this as a gift to each other at Christmas. Uh, We went to different nursing facilities. At that time, we didn't have a name. We just did it. Um, And then in uh, 2018, I had a dear friend, Shannon, that I worked with, and her mother became ill with Alzheimer's. And maybe I can let you tell her a little bit about um, what, what she experienced. Yeah. So my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's
3: several years before. And uh, as Sandy said, we worked together, actually hired Sandy. And we knew we had a special bond even back then because she would always say, gee, you remind me of my daughter and just just a special friendship. And during the course of this, I knew that her mother-in-law, Pearl, had Alzheimer's. I didn't know to what extent I didn't I really didn't know the full story. But Sandy would ask me every day when I came into work how my mom was doing because I had to transition my mom and my dad into my house and we became, my husband and I became their caretakers. And she knew that the struggles that I had as a caretaker and she knew how hard it was. She had been through it before. So uh, I had to finally transition my mom into a nursing facility. Um, she became become ill. I couldn't take care of her any longer. And Sandy approached me one day at work and said, would you care if I gave your mom a baby? And I was a little confused,
0: but I <laughs> said, What baby?
3: Because um, I didn't I didn't know the full story at the time. So she she let me in on a little bit of the story about how this comforted her mother-in-law. So next day she came in and she actually brought me two babies. And they were at a carrier. And I was really shocked at how they looked because they were, they were like lifelike. I Was like, wow, those are those are like great looking baby dolls. So she asked me if she wanted me uh, if she if I wanted her to deliver them to my mom, and uh, she was nice enough to make my mom's roommate one also um, because they'd like to share things. And I said, no, it's okay. I'm going to go in there. I'll I'll give it to her. So um, later that evening, I went to the nursing home and I had the carrier with me. And when I walked into the room, I, I had enough time to pull the baby out. And my mom's roommate immediately just stuck her arms out and started crying and just, you know, just give her to me, give her to me. So I walked it over to her and she just, she pulled it up to her face and she was rubbing it around her neck. And this is a woman who hadn't had a visitor in 12 years, by the way. And she held it so close. And like, all I could do was cry. I, I didn't even say anything. And the nurses that night had a hard time getting it out of her arms to even dress her. So what a huge to work the next day, I just told Sandy, like, I was so emotional. And, and I told her, I said, okay, I understand the baby doll now. And she went on to tell me the full story of Pearl. And because then I could understand it because I witnessed what happened. As I went back to, you know, visit my mom, I visited her just about every day. This, these baby dolls became the focal point, all the women and even the men wanted to come into the room and hold the baby dolls. So Sandy approached me one day after I was telling her all these stories and and, and how fun it was. And she said that um, she and her husband, Wayne, wanted to do something special for my mom's facility. And what about if we planned a delivery where we delivered baby dolls and puppies to everybody there? That way they wouldn't have to have to share them with each other. I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. So we did. So on Valentine's Day, 2018, we we met at the nursing home and she had all the babies and puppies loaded up in the back of her car which is now known as the pearl mobile <laughs> and Great. she had the red wagons ready to go and it wasn't planned at all um we just loaded them up and we took them upstairs and as they were having their valentines party we just went one by one and as sandy was delivering i decided to get out my camera and start taking some pictures and videos and literally almost every resident there had the same response. It was tears. They would tell us about their uh, their, their kids. It, it brought something that just, I mean, it restored all these awesome memories. So we were there probably four hours maybe. And um, all of the workers, we were all in tears, not a dry eye in the house. And the workers wanted to get a copy of my, my videos and my pictures. And I normally have my Facebook page that is private. And so what I told him, I think the best way to do this is, let me just go on because, you know, we had waivers for everyone. Let me go on, post them on Facebook. I'll set my profile as public and then you guys can go in and put down the video, the pictures as you want them. And then I'll I'll close it back up and make it private again. So at eight o'clock that night, I posted all the pictures and the videos and came into work the next morning. And my sister texted me about 830 and she said, Shannon, have you been on Facebook today? And I said, no. And she said, you might want to go on Facebook. That time we had a half million shares and people were just contacting us like crazy it went viral overnight so then you pick
2: up what happened from here okay so then uh people started coming up to me that day and because of the Facebook and they asked me how could they donate they wanted to help us buy another baby doll to take to somebody else So by the end of the day, I had all these people and I went to my daughter and son-in-law and my husband and I said, what do we do? This is unbelievable, you know, because we hadn't planned it or anything. So my son-in-law said, you need to, we need to set you up a GoFundMe page. So he set up a GoFundMe page that night and the next morning it was already growing and my daughter, uh, she figured out how to set up the nonprofit and get in touch with all the legalities and get all those set in place. And the family just uh, just all did it all that night. And by the next day, it was grown again. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We, I said, um, I started crying that night. I said, you know, we hadn't planned this at all, and I didn't. Feel like it was a plan, but I felt like we were in a big bus, and God was driving it.
0: <laughs> I was oh, just going to say the, the Lord. There is a Lord's hand in there, absolutely. Every
2: in in this <laughs> whole thing, and just to give you
3: an idea, in the, within the first twenty four hours, we we had been contacted by people in seventeen different countries because they wanted to know so much about our organization and and what we've done because the videos and the pictures just told such such a story.
0: So let's pivot now to to COVID-19, I mean, people are even more isolated. So how have you responded? And I know that, you know, the elderly is truly the greatest population at risk.
2: We keep our uh, calendar pretty full. We have a list, a waiting list. And so we have uh, had places in line and we were so excited to get out there because I felt like they needed them even more. Uh, being isolated. So we went, I went and bought uh, laundry baskets and put pink and blue satin ribbons through them, wove them in. And we loaded those up with babies uh, instead of our wagons and puppies and kittens. And we called the facility and they came out uh, to the uh, porch on the outside and we gave them the babies and they took them in. And delivered them. And we asked them if they would uh, mind sharing the photos that they took so that we could let people see how their donations are still working during this. Yeah, then, well, like I said, we had um, people scheduled. And then after that, um, it got, it continued, the news kept getting worse and worse. And they called us and said, you know, is there any way that you can? Still keep us on your list, but uh, come when when they allow it to be open again. So in the meantime, um, all that I can do is I have been actually emailing the nursing facilities, talking to some of the staff and the nurses and just telling them that we're here and we're still praying for them and we're getting the baby dolls ready and everything's here ready to go as soon as we can get there, right?
3: And then one thing that that has affected me during COVID-19 is I feel like I get a lot of general questions um, just about caretaking in general, because I can so identify how hard it is for these caretakers to take care of, you know, their elderly parents or loved ones in nursing facilities. And I've gotten quite a few inquiries about. You know, now that this is hit and we can't get into the facility, what is your suggestion um, since you've been a caretaker to be able to still love on my parent or my, my loved one in the nursing facility? So I've been able to share some ideas, whether it's constantly sending pictures of yourself, even if you're, you're sending them, you know, every day so they can open them up and they can see you. And they cannot forget what you look like, because by the time this is over with, my fear is, you know, these people are not going to realize who even their children are. They need those constant reminders. So send them the pictures, you know, schedule the FaceTime calls with the staff. Uh, make sure they hear your voice, even if it's over the phone, so they can continue to keep that familiarity because they will not understand during this time why everybody has abandoned them, because that's what it's like. And. You see on social media where people are, you know, doing visitations through the glass, but my mom was on the second floor of a facility that would have worked for her. So, able to share ideas, which is, which is really nice because I, I wish I had a resource like that or would have thought to reach out to someone um, because those are great ideas you can continue to do even when you can't visit when you're not in a situation like this with the pandemic.
0: You know, you started from scratch, you know, you saw a need and you came up with an incredibly creative idea, Um, Sandy, and then Shannon joined. You have, you know, one or two insights that you can share with other people who are listening who may want to start something that, uh, you know, fulfills a need in the marketplace, whether it's during COVID or post COVID, that they can truly create something as wonderful as you have.
2: We've actually been asked uh, if people could start chapters, and we uh, actually don't do that because, there again, that's another realm that we have not explored. And uh, like say, we're small. We're just the two of us and the family behind the scenes. But Shannon and I are the only two that actually go out and do the deliveries and everything. But one, uh, we get a lot of emails like that. And one thing I always uh, try to encourage them is if, anybody that has uh, uh anybody that they know that has a memory loss anyone can go out and purchase a baby doll ours are cloth bodies with um with the rubber hands and arms they're not really special they're they're a, just a normal baby doll but when you take their clothes off and remove them and wrap them up in real clothes and soft blankets and make them unique uh, anybody can do that, and it's not pricey. You know, you can get all prices of dolls. But if you can't afford uh, an expensive doll, you can go, you know, and buy a lesser expensive. And I think they'll still love it.
3: Mm-hmm. And two, I think there's ways to create different ministries or missions, even having it a price tag, because the people I talk to, you know, even even if they can't do that, I'm constantly telling people just visit. Even if yeah. it's for a half an hour and it's somebody you don't even know, just go in because I feel like Sandy is so special in the way she delivers the baby and part of it is the baby, but a big part of it too is the way she talks to them, the way she hugs, them, the way she interacts with them. She treats them like they matter and they do. And I think a lot of people stay out of nursing homes because they're selfish. It's selfish reasons. It's it's tough when you're walking by someone and they're nonverbal and they want to hold your hand and try to talk to you and it's uncomfortable for you. And I'm always telling people, you've got to get past that selfishness and just go visit. You don't even need a baby doll. Just how to make something great, even if it's outside of babies. You just got to do it. You can't rely on an organization or, you know, it could be you and a family member that just say, hey, I have a little bit of extra time today. Um, What am I going to do? I'm going to go visit someone for 20 minutes because I want to let them know they matter.
0: So I I think that that during COVID-19, there's been this uh, one of the maybe few silver linings is that people who are invisible in the normal course of life, whether it's, you know, people helping in our local communities with trash collection or, of course, our healthcare providers, but also our elderly, um, that, you know, you're right, they, they are worth, worthy people. And that to go into um, a home or facility and just share a, a story, hold a hand.
3: If people just think about how they have felt feeling quarantined, cut off they felt lonely because they can't see their kids or grandkids they can't socialize like they used to be able to that just described how someone feels in a memory care unit
0: and you've delivered how many puppies and babies
2: we're close to about a thousand we're working close to a thousand now
0: and you still have a gofundme page is that correct yes we do yes we do girls memory babies that's correct
2: They can get
3: more information um, on our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook, you can search Pearl's Memory Babies. And we post uh, all the pictures and videos from every delivery we do. So they're all loaded on there. And as a secondary resource, you can go to our website at PearlsMemoryBabies.com.
0: We have a gentleman who is creating a match.com type um, capability for both hospitals as well as volunteers, and it's called Hospital Heroes. So, welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me. So, Keith, tell us a little bit about um, where you're from and what led you to this idea? And then how is it uh, proceeding?
4: So, I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, and my day job is working for a nonprofit called Give to Asia, which connects donors in the US, both corporations, foundations, and individuals, with local nonprofits in other countries all across Asia Pacific. And we're one of the only nonprofits that can do grant making to China. And so, when the coronavirus outbreak first started, Uh, back in January, donors were coming to us saying, hey, we want to help. There's this crisis happening in Mulan. And we very quickly were able to launch a campaign and we were working with local nonprofits there. And they're, of course, trying to figure out how they can help because so much of this is requires government response. And one of the things that we observed and that was really um, tragic was how hard this impacted healthcare workers. And um, so that's a lot of what we ended up funding. And it was something that we saw from afar, that local nonprofits could really do a lot of good. As the crisis was coming here, um, some friends and I decided, hey, like, let's see if we can build something to, to support healthcare workers because we know they're going to be so heavily impacted when this comes here to the rest of the world.
0: You obviously had the capability, and so it allowed you to truly go quickly. I've, I've heard the term... At the speed of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. So how do, quickly did you get Hospital Heroes up and running?
4: Yeah. So we came together through a network um, of people called COVID Accelerator, which is a, a community that is building projects to help with, um, with COVID-19 response. And so my friend, Andrew, and I, who started this, all of a sudden were connected with a bunch of volunteers. And the challenge that um, the Tito, one of the creators of COVID Accelerator, gave us is what can you build in two weeks? And so we scoped our project down. We said, okay, what is what is a project we can build with an all volunteer team in just two weeks that might have a chance of doing some good? So we're you know we're not healthcare professionals. We don't work in public health, uh, and so we had to say, okay, what can we build? And and what we decided to build was a tool that makes it easy for healthcare workers or anyone working in a hospital to ask for help and for volunteers. To um, to respond,
0: so so that was really a, a great kind of requirement to truly get you focused and moving forward. So, talk about the app and what's been the response.
4: So, what we built is a, a web application, sort of a platform that allows hospital workers to post requests for things like, um, you know, they need meals for the team, they need a safe place to stay so that they don't get their family sick, they need um, someone to walk their dog. And those requests um, are then matched by our volunteer coordinators behind the scenes with, uh, with a huge number of volunteers who showed up and just offered to help. So in, in the first, you know, we've only been live for you know less than a month now, and I think we've had over 400 volunteers mm-hmm. across the country and even some from across the world say, yep you know, sign me up. If there's someone in my area, I will help them.
0: And so can you share with us some stories? I'm sure you have a lot of the matching, the match outcome.
4: I think one of the, one of the most um, ambitious uh, requests that we had was from an ER doc in Brooklyn who said, I just need food for my entire team as often as possible. (laughs) You know, (laughs) know, food food for 50 to 60. And, uh, And one of our volunteers took that as a challenge And figured out how to have, this is, and this was in the early days uh, when food delivery was uncertain and found a way to have pizza for 50 (laughs) delivered to this, uh, to this hospital in Brooklyn. So that was, um, that felt really good to see those, those photos come back. And there are, you know, other requests, just these touching requests. Um, there was a a nurse in Santa Cruz who works in San Jose and so has a long commute and she had a, a golden retriever. That um, normally is a therapy dog in the hospital, but she didn't want to bring the dog during the pandemic, so she needs someone to just like you know take care of her dog. Um, And so we get we get these you know these simple requests um, that are just small things we can do to make um, make um, frontline healthcare workers' lives a little bit easier. So, do you need more volunteers? We would love more volunteers because there are it's a big country, and so even though we have lots of volunteers in some areas, um, more coverage is great. Um, But the biggest thing, honestly, that we need is um, connecting with um, with more healthcare workers who need the help because you know they're um, they're really busy. They don't necessarily know this exists. So mm. if, if there's someone in your life um, or or you know someone who could use help and, and maybe do, is you know afraid to ask for it or doesn't have the resources already in their, um in their network, uh, we might be able to help them out. This is just one small project. There's there's so many people doing amazing things um, out there to help hospitals in their individual communities. And really the thing we were trying to solve is what's the tool that anyone can use anywhere to, um, to ask for help if they don't have those, those, you know, those resources in their, in their personal network. So we would love to get the word out and, um, and just make this available to people who need it.
0: I'm just curious, how much are your volunteers, um, have, they, have they cut back some of their offerings because um, of the stay at home a mandate or are they, they volunteering virtually or are they all doing hands on?
4: You know, we encourage our volunteers to make sure they're following any local guidelines on social distancing. And so a lot of the services really do depend on some some third party, like a food delivery um, or offering space. So we, we, we want them to make sure that they're being careful, but we haven't seen any drop off. I think, you know, volunteer, there's actually just an amazing um, an outpouring of support. Everyone understands the sacrifices that our healthcare workers are making, and, and I think there's a big appetite to help um, when that help is at, is asked for.
0: Absolutely. So what's, um, what's the website that people can go to to sign up?
4: So folks can sign up to volunteer or to request help at hospitalhero.care and you can find us there and, and get in touch. We also welcome offers from businesses uh, if, if you are looking for, um, you know, a way to donate uh, services from, from your business. I think we're all, you know, we're all doing what we can and um, if this can help um, you know, even one person in, in your community, then um, then you know that would make our day.